0: So uh, we this is week 14 out of 15 of our study of Second Corinthians. Uh, we're going to be in Second Corinthians 12, and uh, the series is titled "Vessels" uh, from Second Corinthians 4. That uh, we have this hope in jars of clay; that we ourselves are fragile, but the hope cannot be stolen, cannot be shaken, cannot be uh, cannot be altered. That uh, that our hope of salvation is eternal is eternally set in stone. Um, for all those who call on the name of the Lord and who walk with Him and who persevere in their faith. Um, so one thing, if you've ever done uh, pottery or um, observed pottery, anybody, anybody ever taken a pottery class or just you have like kind of a, uh, a, a curiosity, maybe you've watched some YouTube videos or some TikToks now if you're keeping up with all the ways to observe the world and its uh, activities, so, uh, you, you, if you are familiar with pottery, you know that um, unless you are extremely skilled, that it's very easy to cause blemishes in the pottery that you make, cracks, and, and, and likewise in this series, that's, that's kind of the gist of 2 Corinthians 4, this idea that we, we, vest, we are imperfect vessels holding a perfect hope and a perfect salvation and perfect Savior. Um, and along those lines, as we go to 2 Corinthians 12, uh, we... Uh, have scars spiritual mental, emotional, but also physical and um, I was thinking about uh, I was thinking about uh, the chapter this evening, and um, I told you last week we kind of closed with this idea that paul de- Paul puts all of his boasting in in his scars he says to the Corinthians, the reason that you can believe me and trust me and follow me is not because of my credentials. In fact, you've been deceived to get all caught up in the credentials that these other teachers, these other Judaizers have brought to you. My credentials are my scars, my suffering, uh, my disgraces even, which I want to share something with you. But um, I've always thought scars were cool. Any, any, any uh, Any other guys... Uh, empathize with that. I've thought like I've always thought of them as battle wounds. You know, I want and I almost wanted a scar. Maybe not like right across my forehead, um, but I do remember like the the my brother. He actually cracked his head open when we were young, and then he cracked it open in the exact same spot and extended it by about an inch uh, when we were a little bit older in a sledding accident. And um, I always thought it was kind of cool the scar that he had. It was a story, and uh, people always seemed to be really enamored with it and. So I have a couple of scars, not a lot. I was like the least in, least injured of, I think, our three siblings. Uh, I broke a bone one like a, I can't show you because it's an inappropriate uh, gesture, but um, <laughs> I broke a bone once in, the, in a car door, um, but I have a couple scars. I have one on this wrist from a little snake bite, like a little snake in the grass, it's uh it's faded a lot, but you can still see it a little bit and then I got a scar here in my second year on my knuckle. I was cutting some acorn squash for these awesome uh stuffed stuffed acorn sausage stuffed acorn squash recipe, and it's one of my favorites still. But the knife got stuck in it, and I was trying to get it loose and when I pulled it out, you know every every action has an equal and opposite reaction, and so it whoosh, whoosh, right in my finger and uh <laughs> I ruined Casey's breakfast with her mom that morning. They were just pulling out, and I'd like run out, and my fingers, you know. Uh, had, and then I went and saw Dr. Greg, and uh, bless his heart, he didn't even tell me when he was going to, you know, pour the, the cleansing agent in there. That was a... Uh, I think he just wanted to see if I really practiced what I preached. Like, he wanted to see what came out of my mouth when he, when he poured it in there. Like, I think it was, he was just testing me, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I've always thought scars were cool. I've, always, I've thought of them as as battle wounds, um, physical ones, anyway. But when it comes to spiritual scars, when it comes to uh, when it comes to thinking about suffering, I have not always been cool with the way that God talks about suffering. That uh, that suffering is a blessing. That it's something worth celebrating because of what God can do and will do in you if you uh, embrace it. And that's kind of what, as Paul continues to boast about his sufferings, he actually has a revelation from Jesus. So in my, if you have one of those red-letter Bibles, you'll see some red letters here in 2 Corinthians 12 um, about suffering. And this has always been one of my favorite passages. It's, impor- it's an important passage for accountability, which is usually how I talk about it. That it's important to, to boast in your weaknesses, to share those with brothers, with sisters, um, in order to lift them up and in order to also be strengthened um, in our walk. But this evening, um, I just wanna, I, I want to examine specifically how Jesus' suffering uh, overcame sin and death and how that works in our own lives as well. And we'll also have a little, couple of little asides that here in the text as we go through the chapter. Um, before, before we get into 12, I want to circle back to the end of chapter 11 because he really kind of begins his train of thought for 12 in verse 30. He says, if I must boast, remember he started this section saying he's going to stoop to the level of the so-called super apostles that are uh, influencing the church and he's going to boast the way they do so that they can see that they should really, they, that really if we're going to compare apples to apples, that Paul is the guy they should be listening to he says you've made me be a fool here and so he says but if i must boast i will boast of the things that show my weakness the god and father of the lord jesus who is to be praised forever knows that i'm not lying so he he begins this thought his credentials are his scars the thing that gives him authority and credibility is the humility and suffering that he's endured for the name of christ And then there's this weird little section here, verse 32 and 33, and it says, In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascenes uh, guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. I didn't read anything particularly meaningful on that last week, and so um, I proposed that he just threw that in as like one more detail. But actually, this week as I was reading, um, I read that what Paul is addressing in ancient times... The Corona Morales, um, aka the Walled Crown, that's what it means. That's what it means in English. Was kind of an ancient equivalent of a medal of honor, and it was issued to the person in battle who was the first to scale the wall and get into the city that they were sieging. Okay, so it was given to a soldier who was believed to be so bold maybe a little bit foolhardy, but so bold and courageous, so, so set on the prize, and so determined to push the battle forward for his uh, comrades, because we're in Russia now, I don't know why I said comrades. Anyway, um, to push the battle forward, that they, they honored that as an honor above all honors because of the risk, because, uh, because of the prowess uh, that it would entail. And here, what uh, one commentator said is that Paul here is not boast. Instead, he's not boasting about being the first up the wall, but being the first down it. He's he's just declared, I've just told you about all my suffering, and I'm going to boast in my weakness. And now, so so then he shares a story about his disgrace. He shares a story about having to leave a city with his tail between his legs, having to sneak out uh, like a like a criminal. And uh, Don Carson, he, he writes it this way, he says, the man who had access to the highest officials in Jerusalem slunk out of Damascus like a criminal, lowered like a catch of dead fish in a basket whose smelly cargo he'd displaced. So Paul boasted about sufferings, and then he says he'll only boast about things that show his weakness and recounts a story of total disgrace. So as he builds himself up, he says, the things that mark me as a true apostle of Christ... Are the fact that I have been disgraced and I have suffered and I've done all this in the name of Jesus for your sake. And as he says in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19, because I want to become all things to all people so that some might be saved. So he says these are my credentials, the sacrifice and suffering for the name of Jesus. And then he picks up uh, chapter 12 verse 1 and he says, I must go on boasting. Although there's nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, again, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. So right there in the first verse, he begins by reminding us he's still in boasting mode. And then he says, in addition to physical investment, I have the favor of God and the revelation of God. He's speaking in third person because this now, he's now speaking about a privilege. And he, he really does not want to be boasting in anything except his weaknesses. So um, most scholars believe he's talking about himself. Who is the man who was caught up to the third heaven? Uh, it was him. Most scholars believe it was him. And he's sharing, what he's, trying, what he's getting at is not so much that God has shown him favor, but his actual point is that even though I've had these kind of experiences, I have not made a big deal about these to you because what really matters is the life that I lived out in front of you. The consistency of what I taught with the way that I lived and the way that I spoke when I wasn't in the pulpit where I could receive money or attention. And that's actually, he says this exact thing in verse 5 and 6. He says, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. He says, in other words, it really doesn't matter the blessings of God on my life as far as my credentials go. What matters is whether or not I lived consistently with the gospel that I preached to you. Did, did my life have the integrity that I said the life of Jesus was calling you to? Did I practice what I preached? In other words, and I want want to. Um, so when I was when I was in Monette, Missouri, uh, I was walking around with a with a with a with a pastor who just everywhere he went was absolutely intent on being a disciple of Jesus. Like uh, he wanted he, he. Every time we got in the car together to go to a restaurant. He said, "Stephen, let's pray that God would help us see what the Holy Spirit wants us to do while we're at Taco Bell, or let's pray that God would would help us hear what He wants us to say while we're at the nursing home, or and on and on like that." Well, one of the things that uh, one of the things that Pastor Noel would constantly um, ask a person is uh, is just, "Are you saved? Do you know? Do you know the healing power of Jesus?" And so it was immediately amusing to both of us when we were standing in Taco Bell one day, because we ate there every week, uh, once a week. Um, it's like the lowest quality food that I love the most, okay? Um, so anyway, we're, we're standing there getting our drinks, and this guy comes up to us, and he, he says to us, he says, are you saved? And, and we smiled real big, and we looked at each other, and like, did somebody send him over to us? And um, and we said, we said, yes, we, we love Jesus. We, we would probably have asked you a similar question uh, had you not beat us to the punch. Who sent you? you know, and then he, he said, well, let me ask you another question. Are you being saved today? Are you being saved today? And he went on to elaborate and he said, he said it's great that you have had an encounter with Jesus. And I'm sure you could tell me all kinds of testimonies about what Jesus has done in your life. But are you living in it today? Are you living in that reality? And that's what Paul says, is it really doesn't matter how um, eccentric and amazing your experiences of the past are, unless it affects your present, unless it affects the way that you're talking right now. For example, if I if, would know, shouted choice words the, when Greg so unceremoniously poured that cleansing agent into my finger, we would ha- he'd have legitimate questions, I think, about what I lived like, maybe he, I don't know what he would have said or done, but uh, maybe he would have understood, I don't know, but he might, he might have wondered, well, what is pastor like the rest of the time? He might, he might have wondered, what is, is he consistently living this out in his home? Um, Because for a second, a different part of my being would have taken over, right? So for Paul, he says the, the advantage that flowed from my great privilege was not specifically that God was showing his favor on me, but that it led to a deeper experience of trusting Jesus in his weakness. And so that's what he gets into in verse seven. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. But he said to me, and this is in red letters, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. First of all, I think it's really important that Paul doesn't tell us what the thorn is. I I could have spent quite a bit of time uh, conjecturing with you about what uh, scholars think it is, but I actually think it's important that it's vague. And I, I, I also think it's probably even intentional because Paul seemed to be quite intentional in everything that he wrote. Um, I think it, it could be possible that maybe his readers knew what the thorn was because we can see from his defense that uh, oftentimes, that it seems like that people were tearing down uh, the way that he spoke, the way that he looked, that he was not imposing, he was not um, regal and refined. Uh, so maybe they, maybe they knew what the thorn was. I don't know. But it, it seems to me that Paul has avoided talking specifically about what his thorn was because anybody can read this and relate to the text just by thinking, well, what thorns affect my life? What the, and the, and the, the Greek word for thorn, it's nothing special. It doesn't indicate some deep, profound meaning. It's just, uh, it's just a little sharp edge that annoyingly pokes and prods and, and uh, pricks and hurts the skin. Okay, that's, that's all the Greek word for thorn is here. So just think about the things that are annoying in your life, the things that, that poke and, and prick and, and sting your skin, and that, seem, and that seem like you just can't get rid of them. And Paul says uh, that it was given me to remind me uh, that, there's some, that there is a greater hope and a greater strength for me to rely on them myself. That in my, in my own flesh, there are all kinds of nuisances that would never go away on their own. But in Christ... I have a hope that gives me the perseverance and the strength to endure every day. Like Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13, he says, I have found the secret to life. And the secret he shares is contentment. And then he says, That contentment comes because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm able to endure any circumstance. I'm in, able to endure every thorn, no matter how persistent, how annoying, how frustrating, how overwhelming, how overbearing it is, because Christ strengthens me. When I'm weak, I'm strong. Now, quick aside I want to deal with here. He says, I was given a thorn in the flesh. And some, uh, some traditions latch on to sentences like that they read they read these these sentences that are in the english language and they say well if it's there in the black and white then that's how that's what we got to believe well okay let's try and have a little bit of perspective there it's if we're going to read it as it was i'll go get my greek new testament and we need to take about four or five years of greek and understand uh understand what greek words mean and context and all all of those things okay um Paul is not saying that God gave him something evil, okay? And here's how we know this, is because when contextually you take this passage and you let the Bible interpret the Bible, where else, where, where anywhere in the Bible are we to understand that God has any evil in him, or that he created anything imperfect, or that it was ever his intent for his creation to endure sin and brokenness in the world? It was quite the opposite. God God's heart broke that his world broke. God's heart broke that sin uh, stole from his creation, the good world that he created. When you read Genesis 1 and 2, before sin enters the world, the only words you read are good and very good, good and perfect, because as James chapter 1 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, which conversely means that every imperfect and not good gift comes from somewhere else, right? Right? Are you you with me? Okay. So so did God give this thorn to Paul? The short answer is no. Paul recognizes God's sovereignty here, his ultimate authority that like in Job, as the enemy goes to and fro, causing trouble in the world, his mission is to show God that there is nothing good in the world and everyone defaults like I do to selfishness and, and a desire to rule and reign over and above you nobody is ever going to nobody's ever going to choose god to ignore the tree of knowledge of good and evil they're always going to choose their own way and and you you have uh you have no hope that your dream of a world that is whole and complete in relationship with you is ever going to exist and so he's going through to and fro in the earth and he but he still has to report to god which i think is hilarious he's trying to arrogantly prove a point and he still has to come before god and tell him what he's been doing And so Paul recognizes that. Nothing happens that God doesn't allow, but those things do not come from God. The suffering of this world is defeated instead when we embrace it as an opportunity to draw nearer to God's love or as an opportunity to bring God's love nearer to others. If you talk to Landon and Michaela about the ordeal that they've just been through, one thing that you'll hear over and over and over again from them is how God used it for them to bring love to others. How God used Aaron Landon's life to bring love to others. Now, does that mean that the thorn doesn't hurt? That it's not persistent? That it feels unfair? That Does that mean that they don't plead with God for a different experience as Paul? No. But we defeat suffering and sin and death when we embrace it and understand that God is working all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, Romans 8.28, and that we are more than conquerors in Him and that we will never be separated from His love no matter how persistent and strong the thorn seems, right? So Jesus taught and modeled this too. He endured insults. He endured threats he endured question, question after question he endured doubt and betrayal from his very best friends the ones who knew him the best who saw the most revelation and miracles from him and he could, he embraced all of that suffering And he said father you've given me these disciples don't let them stray help them finish the race and I'm go, and and father uh, if there's any other way take this cut from me but not my will your will be done he embraced all the suffering he allowed all of it to come, to come into him and come on him. And he overcame it when he exhausted it on the cross. And God looked at that and said, see, Satan, there is someone who in the flesh of humanity has chosen to trust me and obey me. And now we have access to that same kind of relationship. And that's what Paul is saying here. And I think that's why he testified, what he does testify to is the words of Jesus. My grace is sufficient for you My power is made perfect in your weakness. In the same way that God's resurrection power was made perfect when I allowed the cross to overcome me, when I allowed suffering to overcome me, and I fell into His arms and I commended my spirit to Him. When we do the same thing, when we say, God, I hate this. I want you to take it away. Please, please take this cup from me. But then we say, not my will, but your will be done. I believe that your power will be made perfect in my weakness. I believe that I have, if I embrace this, if I recognize that Jesus himself, you yourself as God went to the cross, that, you, that I too will be raised up in victory. Victory in Jesus over sin and death. That's how it's overcome. When, when I say, God, I am willing to allow this suffering to become a story that do, rather than defining me in grief, and misery, that it would become a story of how God works even in the clouds of life and even in the storms of life. And I'll tell it to other people. I'll allow that pain to come through me again in order to communicate victory to other people, in order to communicate your glory and your power to other people. I'll allow it again. And that's how it's overcome. That's, that's what Revelation 12 says, that the accuser all day long is bringing accusations against the brethren. Revelations 12. But he is those accusations and the accuser is overcome by the blood of the Lamb when he, embr- when he embraced the suffering and the word of our testimony about how God gives us the strength to endure the same suffering and that one day he will deliver us in the same way that he delivered Jesus into eternal life, into renewed bodies that cannot be overcome By all of the curses of our world, sin, death, sorrow, pain, none of it can stand. Real quick, a few observations about sickness, about struggle, about healing and deliverance. And these just kind of build on each other. Um, First is Jesus' healing miracles were signs of his kingdom and the salvation he brought. Okay, So healing is a part of God's kingdom is what I'm trying to say. Jesus went about, went about rebuking evil spirits from, uh, rebu- rebuking evil spirits from Satan to bring healing and deliverance. So at his ministry, he went, he went around, and he brought healing and deliverance. And when he did, he called sickness, and he called, he called all kinds of curses, evil spirits from the devil. Okay. Thirdly, Jesus taught his disciples to pray for the sick and to cast out demons in the same way. And expected that kind of healing activity to continue through his people. John chapter fourteen: You will do even greater things than these, right? You will do everything you've seen me doing, and you will do even greater things than these. Okay. Uh, fourthly, healing and miracles in the New Testament are repeatedly referenced as gifts of the Spirit, activity of the Spirit. I, I want to say activity because when I say gifts, we get confused and we think only some people do that. But actually, the Greek word means. Activity. And that's why Paul says you can desire the greater gifts because you can pray for the great activity of the Holy Spirit to show up in your life, and we all may be vessels by which that activity occurs. Okay? Um, so, healing and miracles are gifts or are, are activity of the Spirit, and there's no indication that they've gone away. Rather, on the contrary. Uh, I don't have time tonight, but I could tell you stories stories that I've experienced, stories that uh, other brothers in Christ have experienced. Number five, God doesn't heal and deliver all sicknesses and struggles here on earth. Okay? So these things, well, I've shared them in the order that I've shared them so that you would understand. In God's kingdom, those things don't exist. And it was a sign of God's kingdom coming that, we, that authority and dominion was returning to the people of God to cast those things out that with the church, with the advent of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit, that that kind of activity can and does continue. But sometimes God's answers, at least as far as we understand them, are no. Now, uh, in the last century, Watchman Nee, anybody familiar with Watchman Nee? Um, He wrote a book entitled The Normal Christian Life in which he contended that what was normal in the early church is what we should expect in the present church as the norm today. I would highly recommend this book, The Normal Christian Life. Um, And what I want to say to you is may it be so in our faith in God's healing. I feel like I'm experiencing a renewal in that way. There's There's a part of me as a pastor that I fear praying too boldly and imparting false hope. And I have in the last year felt like the Lord has said that needs to stop (laughs) you just need to pray in in light of my massive power and I don't I don't know if you're hearing it or sensing it all I feel it in me that I'm praying in a different way for God's power so may it be so in our faith in God's healing that what we see in the New Testament early church would also we would also understand that that can be and is to be the norm today but May it also be so in our perspective about sickness, suffering, and struggle, that we would not only say that God is good if He would show up and heal in the way that we see Him doing in the New Testament, but that we would also say that God is good even when things don't go our way. That we would say God is good because He took the cross and that God will be good to give me the strength to take the suffering that comes my way to. That God will be good to help me to endure in faith and to be an anchor of hope for those around me even when life is so unfair right may that also be the norm may we it, do you ever think about how incredible it is what the early church endured and continued to call on the name of Jesus and praise his name as good i mean the colosseum and being torn apart and being being made entertainment and spectacle uh, amongst wild animals and trained soldiers And being lit up as torches in Rome to be a scapegoat for Nero's failures as a leader, and on and on the list goes. Well, may it also, may that also be normal for us that no matter what suffering we face, that it would be normal for us to embrace it and to continue to celebrate Jesus and to declare that He will give us what we need to be to make it through this, and that ultimately our hope will be fulfilled, that we will have victory in Jesus. Can Yahweh heal? Yes, and he does often. Does he always heal? No. Does Yahweh take what Satan intended for harm and turn it into good? Does he work all things back together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Absolutely. So His power in our weakness should change our perspective about suffering. I want to pause for a moment and consider some of the scriptures that speak of God's mighty power in us. I'm just going to read them kind of rapid fire. You might want to write them down so you can look them up later. Isaiah 40, verses 29 to 31. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even young people grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Why? Because he gives strength. Philippians four eleven and 13. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Ephesians 1, verses 18 through 20. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power, or strength is another way to interpret that word for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Ephesians 3 verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Ephesians 6 verse 10, finally, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Colossians 1, verses 10 through 12. We pray that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29. We proclaim Him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all His energy. How do we struggle? With His energy, which so powerfully works in me. This is in all caps, bolded and underlined in my notes. Boasting in weakness comes from the wisdom of the cross. Boasting in weakness comes from the wisdom of the cross i think that this is going to be the word that i'm going to stand on for 2023 boasting and weakness comes from the wisdom of the cross what did paul say in first corinthians 1 he said that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to those who are being saved it is the power and the wisdom of god right boasting and weakness comes from the wisdom of the cross I was trying to think of a practical way to apply this and what kept coming into my mind is the song how deep the father's love for us by Stuart Townend anybody know that one how deep the father's and 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 my favorite part the part that I can never ever sing and not raise my hands to you or actually I, I offer them out like this I will not boast of anything no gifts no power no wisdom but I will boast in Jesus Christ his death and resurrection boasting and weakness comes from the wisdom of the cross It's not that complex, but it is super profound. That is, it's a simple idea that takes a lifetime to learn. And that's holiness, right? That's what it means to be set apart to him, is to take the simple grace, (laughs) believe and be saved, and to work that out across a lifetime. To, To ask yourself questions like, what do I find solace in? What do I boast in? Is it His cross and resurrection? Does He loom the largest over all other things in my affections, my ambitions, my self-understanding, so that everything else is covered in a cloud of His presence, is completely um, overcome by the weight of His glory? Is it about Him or is it about me? And as we ask ourselves those questions, suffering in particular, Paul says, is an opportunity for things to come into perspective and to realize how small and how helpless we are. And instead of shaking our fists at great big God, we open our hands to the suffering and in turn receive our suffering Savior to walk us through all of it. I feel like I should just stop there. But... uh let me take you through the last few verses here. Verse, 13, verse 11, I've made a fool of myself now, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended to you for I'm not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I'm nothing. The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, miracles were done among you with great perseverance. How were you inferior to the other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me for this wrong. And so Paul declares his experiment with boasting has come to an end and he's shifting gears now to once again beckon them into relationship, back into relationship with Jesus and back into relationship with their spiritual father himself. And so uh, verse 14, he says, Now I'm ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So Paul's first visit to Corinth had seen the church planted, his second visit to Corinth, he called the sorrowful visit. And now he's coming for a third time. Why? When everything has been so lousy between them. Why is he coming? Because he says, I don't want your possessions. I seek not what is yours, but you. What I really want is you. He's their spiritual father and he hasn't forgotten about them or moved on from them, but is taking his spiritual parental responsibilities for them really seriously and when i think about the cross i just told you that the the wisdom of the cross is how we boast in weakness it's it's a truth that we stand on i think about how love always pursues love always pursues so we just come out of this profound revelation that god gave paul about weakness and now he's immediately putting it into practice he has spent this. This letter, some scholars say, is the most emotional and vulnerable letter in the New Testament. Uh, that the way that Paul wrote would almost immediately discredit him as someone of status because he brought himself so low and exposed himself so authentic- authentically. But it's because he recognizes the wisdom of the cross. And in the same way that Jesus loved him, he is bound and determined. Bound as a bondservant to Jesus and determined to finish the race marked out for him to love these people. So love always pursues. Or, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love never gives up. So there's three ways I want you to consider this. One is to think about Yahweh's love for you. And I told you on Sunday, Yahweh is God's name. And so you're going to hear me intentionally trying to bring that into my vernacular this year. I think that's what we're supposed to call him. Uh, So think about Yahweh's love for you. Think think about how even though from the beginning we've been rejecting him, that no matter matter what uh, revelation, what blessing, what provisions he's given, we, humanity, have been rejecting him. And yet he keeps showing up. Over decades and centuries and millennia, God's love never fails. And then as you think about that, allow that to direct your mind then to how you love Yahweh. Is your love conditional on your circumstances? Do you find yourself immediately knocked off of your pedestal of worship the moment that things stop going the right way? May it not be so, because in the same way that God pursues us, He longs that we would pursue and desire Him, that we would trust Him, and that we would look at the relationship. And I've shared this before, but it's the most profound image in my own mind's eye about what it means to trust God. And that is that um, it's it's the conversation I have with my kids all the time when when they argue or when they're afraid or any number of things that is essentially a distrust of their parents' wisdom and love and care for them. And I'll just say, Joel, Rhett, Macy, do you know that Daddy loves you so much? Do you have any, do you have any doubt that I, that, that I wouldn't want the very best for you? I hear what you're saying. I hear your uncertainty. I hear, I hear your position and how things look to you. And I, I do. I have conversations like this for real with my kids. But... Do you, do you know and believe? Have you seen evidence that your dad loves you? And that the reason that I'm asking you of this, is it possible that it could also be because I profoundly love you? Do I want the bad scenario that you're describing? Do I want, do I want, do I want anything but good for you? And they'll look at me and some, at Joel Joel and Rhett now, they're old enough, they've gotten that speech a few times. And I'm like, no. I want good for you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's still hitting home. It's still hitting home. You know, the first time I had that conversation, we were in a hotel and we went swimming. Or no, it was actually, we were at Greg and Karen's. We were in their pool. We were going swimming. We were trying to teach them how to teach uh, Joel and Rhett the basics of swimming. And Rhett, you know, you know Rhett. He, just, he dives into everything full speed ahead. Joel was a lot more apprehensive. And he just he just wanted to stay kind of in the shallow end where he felt comfortable, and uh, as I as we kind of gently prodded and beck, beckoned him to, to learn to learn how to swim in the other end, uh, he just had a breakdown, and just I mean tears and um, frustration and and that and at the time we were going through uh, the book of Joshua uh, here on Sunday nights, and uh, I've been just immersed in God. Building up Joshua and telling him, "Wherever you go, I'm going to go with you. Don't be afraid. Be very courageous." And and so I just pulled Joel off to the side, and uh, and I and I had that in that moment. I just felt like God just washed those thoughts into my mind, and I had that conversation with him, and uh, and it was incredible because his whole demeanor changed, and all of a sudden he was willing to follow Casey's instruction, and he and and this always happens with Joel. When if, you, if he can get past his fear and if he can get past his frustration and try something new, he comes out and he's the most gleeful and joyful kid and he can describe it, the amazingness of it in the most incredible and articulate ways. And he wants, to, he wants to go and evangelize everybody about it. Like, yeah, you can do this. You know what I mean? So in my head, I just think about my own children and how they understand. And Jesus says it this way. That even, though, even, even though you... Uh, even though you are wicked, you know how to give good gif- gifts to your children. So how much more your Heavenly Father? How much more? So how, how, uh, how do you love Yahweh in light of His love for you? And then lastly, uh, I want you to think about love pursuing in the context of the person that you desperately want to know Yahweh's love for them. You de- there's somebody, I think, in all of our lives that you grieve before the Lord that they, don't know, that they don't know Jesus, that they aren't confident in God's love for them, that they've never confessed their sin and uh, asked Jesus to, to begin to lead and guide them in everything and, and to forgive them of, and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Right? I think, I think there's every, every one of us has at least one person. And if you are anything like me, sometimes you want to give up. You know, sometimes it seems like God's heard the prayer and he knows and if he's gonna act, he's gonna act. And or or it seems like you have poured out every last ounce of yourself and there's nothing left to give, and so what's the point? You know what has anybody been there? Well, listen to Paul verse fifteen. I would very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? And that's kind of, sometimes that's how it is, isn't it? He just, he just said, and like he does in Romans, I think it's chapter 9, he, Romans, in Romans chapter 9 he says, I would go to hell myself if it meant that all of Israel would be saved and go to heaven. He, actually, he says, he says if, oh, I wish that I could take your place. And, you, and the rest of Israel could go to heaven and experience the salvation of our Messiah. And he says something similar here. When he says expend himself, it's as if he is pouring him, his, his very being out for them. He, he says, in our, in our terminology, it'd be like blood, sweat, and tears. I, I've physically invested myself in you. I've labored for you. And emotionally and spiritually, I've poured out everything that I have for you because I love you, because I will never give up on you. And the cruel irony of that is sometimes you do that and they actually love you less. It seems like they hate you all the more for it, right? Well, in the late 1890s, Francis Thompson wrote an 182-line poem describing Yahweh's pursuit of us. It's called The Hound of Heaven. And uh, it begins like this. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind and in the midst of tears I hid from him. From those strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat. And a voice beats more instant than the feet. It says, all things betray thee who betrayest me. And so he transitions that opening line that I ran from him to then saying just as... They betrayed me, they'll betray you. With unhurried yet breakneck speed, Christ has sought us, wooed us, won us, and shepherded us. In the same way, we give ourselves for others. And in the same way, they may reject, but love always pursues. And so I want to encourage you to endure for others, to endure because of God's love for us. And that's really where it all where it all starts and ends. We first fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and then we second run the race that's been marked out for us. And that's kind of how Paul closes in this section that we're looking at today. He he reminds them once again, I didn't come to you to trick you. I'm not some crafty fellow. I didn't exploit any of you, and even the people I sent to you uh, were good to you. To be a Christian is to adopt a stance which makes us ready to give at a moment's notice no matter what the cost. And why? Because 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So I want to encourage you this evening to hold on to your love for God and then allow that to give you the endurance to do as John Wesley said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. And if you're lucky, you might earn some battle wounds. And you'll be able to lay those crowns down at the feet of Jesus someday and celebrate all of the wonderful good that he worked in spite of the pain and suffering and brokenness and heartache of this world. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, your word is true and your character is consistent. And so we just ask in Jesus' name that you would grant us the grace and the power to walk forward in similar character. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.